Good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. Hope that y'all are planning to join us after the service for our Valentine's luncheon. It'll be a great time, and knowing y'all, it'll be plenty of good food. Go ahead and pray with me, and then we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for this morning and just the chance to be together as believers. The hope that we have in Jesus is just so compelling that we're glad to be here this morning and worship you, thank you, and also to study your word. God, thank you for the privilege of, that you've given me to be here this week uh, again and to share what you've been teaching me uh, through your word this week. And I'm excited to share it, Lord, and I pray that we'll be uh, encouraged uh, and that we'll be challenged and that we'll be moved to obey you. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Go ahead and bring up the first photograph. So, you know, my wife and I have spent the last decade, you know, either preparing to or um, moving over or traveling back and forth from uh, the People's Republic of China. And uh, we had a really special uh, season there. Um, this is one of my friends. His English name is Grant. His Chinese name is Zhou Ji. So you're probably going to want to stick with Grant. And um, we, uh, when we first moved over there, uh, we didn't have a lot of friends because we didn't speak any Chinese. And uh, there weren't a whole, there weren't as many people as we expected speaking English. Grant was one of those. He is, uh, he was um, kind of like a, a businessman. He uh, was the, the middleman for medical uh, pharmaceutical, pharmaceutical manufacturers, and he would sell it to the chain stores. And he spoke uh, Japanese, he spoke Chinese, and he spoke English. And uh, he became a really close friend of our family, and we had many dinners together and times together, and he was just a great friend. Loved our kids. Uh, this is actually Caleb's birthday party. Well, one evening, we got a call, and it was always impromptu in China. You don't, there's not a, a, they're not planning ahead. It's, it's going to happen that night. So Grant told us that he wanted to invite us to dinner with him and his family, and we didn't really know what that meant. We just thought it was one more get-together, one more meal, and one more chance to make, to make friends, uh, which was the phrase there. And so he told us where it was going to be. It was going to be at this western restaurant in the middle of town. And we lived in a provincial capital of about 6 million people at the time. So it was a big city. And, uh, we, and so we found the restaurant. And it was a western restaurant, which in China means they have a few American dishes, but mostly just the same stuff you'd find anywhere else. Um, so we got there, and we, had, you know, we were having the meal. And his, his mom was there. His dad was there. His sister was there with her husband, and his, you know, his girlfriend at the time was there. And we began to wonder, I, I don't think this is just some run-of-the-mill dinner. And as the evening progressed, we began to realize that this was his dad's birthday celebration that we had been invited to. And so we were surprised and you know, more than a little bit embarrassed because we weren't prepared. You know, we had no idea what was going on. At the, and so we didn't have a gift. But, you know, it was just a real enjoyable evening, and in fact, one of the customs there is on your birthday, you'll eat really, really long noodles, which symbolizes long life. So we got to partake of the long noodles with his dad, and we were so surprised that it seemed to us just kind of off the cuff, we were invited personally to participate in his father's birthday celebration, which is a very special time. Now, we've all had invitations in our lives. Um, we've had... Uh, and when you do get an invitation, it, it, there's a lot of things to consider, right? Uh, you have to consider who's giving the invitation. Is this, you know, who's, who's, who's inviting me? You know, is this, is this somebody I want to accept an invitation from? You have to consider, you know, why are they inviting me 
you know, because there might be some sort of motive that you don't really want to kind of get, and especially in China, you know, where reciprocity is a big deal, meaning, you know, you give and then you receive, you have to really consider, and it's the same way for us, so who, who's giving the invitation? Why are they giving the invitation? When is this going to take place? You know, can I even physically be there to participate in this invitation? And then you have to consider, you know, what's going to happen if I say yes to this invitation, to go to this party, to go to this thing? You know, what's going to happen if I say no? And so there are so many things to consider. And, you know, sometimes it's pretty straightforward, right? If it's a family member or if it's, if it's a close friend and they say, come on, and you say, absolutely, I'm there, put my name down. But other times it's anything but simple. And so, you know, when it comes to invitations, there's a lot to think about. But today we're going to talk about a parable that Jesus told. And a parable just means a story with another meaning. Because there are invitations that we've accepted, right? When you get there and you realize what it is and you realize who it is and you realize why, you probably start to regret it, right? You're like, oh, I wish I'd have said no and said I'm busy, But then there's other invitations that after the fact we realize, wow, I really missed out. I should have accepted that invitation. Today we're going to read a parable that Jesus shared while spending an evening with the religious elite. He challenges them not to miss God's invitation through his ministry. This parable is found in Luke chapter 14. So our text this morning will be Luke chapter 14, verses 15 through 23. And just to give you a little bit of context, because that's always important, you know, what happened before the passage, what happened after the passage. So Jesus is actually eating in the house of a prominent Pharisee. And you know, at the time, as best as we can tell, Jesus was a rabbi. He He had an official office in the community. He was a teacher. And so it was appropriate for them to invite him. I'm not sure exactly what their motives were, but Jesus said yes to this invitation. And he's there in their midst, and he's having dinner in their home. And then three different times, he challenges them. And first of all, in verses 1 through 6, and I would encourage you to read this on your own, it's a really interesting passage. There's plenty of controversy to draw you in. But in verses 1 through 6, the first thing that Jesus does is there's a person there at the dinner, I'm not sure why or who it was. Maybe it was a relative of one of the Pharisees. But they're, they, need, they need healing. They have a deformity. And Jesus challenges them and says, hey, I know it's the Sabbath. But is it right to do good on the Sabbath? I mean, I know you guys are real strict on your laws, but this man needs healing. And then he heals him. And he challenges them. He dares them to justify themselves. He dares them to accuse him of being wrong. And then in verses 7 through 11, he notices that as they're getting together for dinner, they're, real, they're all looking at, you know, choosing the right seats. Because in that culture, in our culture, in Chinese culture, all around the world, where you sit is important at, a, at an official dinner. And so they're all trying to grab the best seats. And Jesus, Jesus notices this, and he challenges them. He says, basically, don't exalt yourself. He lectures them on the importance of humbling themselves and letting God lift them up. So after challenging them for their narrow viewpoint about healing, he starts lecturing the teachers. And you got to love that about Jesus. He just wasn't scared when he saw something. When God moved him to speak, he was very bold. And then in verses 12 through 14, 
He challenges the host. Now he goes right to the heart of the matter, and he challenges the host of the party and says, you know, basically all these people you've invited, they're the kind of folks that are going to invite you back. So don't do that. And his, his message there is be generous, not strategic. So we begin in verse 15, where as best I can tell, somebody at the table hears Jesus mention the great wedding feast in the kingdom of God and trying to get a little bit of air in the room, they try to change the subject. So beginning in verse 15, I'll, I'll begin. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. So what is he saying here? He's saying, Let, let's change the subject, Jesus. You know that, that feast in the kingdom of God that we're all going to be at? Because we're the, good, we're the good guys, we're the goody-goodies, we're the right folks. We've got the right stuff. We're going to be there, right? Trying to, change, trying to give Jesus an out. I mean, Jesus has offended everybody at the party so far. And it, it may not go well for him after, at, at, at this point. And so he's trying to change the subject. And, and Jesus does not, you know, in typical Jesus fashion, when it's, when it's the right time, he doesn't let up. And he continues with this parable. Verse 16. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now think about the preparation and expense involved in pulling off this kind of event. Okay, It's a king. I mean, there are people in his court. Um, he's got to prepare for a large number of guests. There's got to be food prepared. Um, there's got to be decorations. I mean, I, I don't know particularly at the cult. I didn't have time to study about that, but I'm sure it was a big deal. And it made me, it reminded me of me, go ahead and bring up the next photograph of a special time in my life. My wife and I were married in 2002, May 11th, and we were actually married right over at the First United Methodist Church in Monroe. And when I was thinking about, you know, our circumstances, we were actually, um, I was really close to graduating. It was my senior year. We decided that we wanted to get married and then, um, you know, begin preparing for missions training. And we had seven weeks to get ready. And I'll tell you, that was a furious, you know, flurry of preparation. And if I'm honest, I wasn't super involved. I mean, my, my wife and her mother did a lot of that, and they were very gracious in getting it ready. And I, just so you know, it wasn't a shotgun wedding, you know. We were just, we were ready to be married because we were trying to go into missions training, I promise. Um, but it was a really special day, and we prepared so carefully. We had the food, you know, the, the invitations and everything, and, and that was a key part. When we thought about invita inv invitations, inviting people to that celebration, we put a lot of thought into it. We, we chose carefully the people that we wanted to invite. And then, you know, to this day, I remember specifically which people were there. And, I, and it, it warms my heart every time I think about, you know, because at a wedding sometimes, the people that you think are going to be there, like I had a guy invited to be my groomsman, didn't come. It hurt my feelings. But then there's other random people who did. You know, we were in college, so a lot of classmates, I was looking through photos just yesterday, Think, imagine the people that came that surprised you and how much it meant to you. So this is the, a king, and he's prepared a banquet. He's gone to great lengths. You can go back to that last passage. We weren't done with those verses. Henry. And he's gone to great lengths. Verse 17, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. 
So when, when everything was ready, he sent his servant with a personal invitation. And at this point, I think you can probably guess, he's talking to religious leaders, he's talking about God being the king, and he's talking about himself, Jesus, is the servant that's been sent with a personal invitation. He is there to personally deliver God's invitation for them to come to him and seek him because they've gotten off track. So in Jesus' day, there were generally two kinds of people that Jesus came to minister to. When you think about the analogy of a banquet, there were people there at at that particular meeting, they didn't feel like they needed an invitation. They felt like they were in, that, that they were already in. They did not even need an invitation, and Jesus was there for them. The second group of people were the people who figured they probably weren't invited to the banquet, that God had no room for them, that God had no intention of inviting them to be a part. And you know what was so interesting about Jesus' ministry is that he constantly, time after time, he frustrated the people who felt like they needed no invitation. They were really frustrated with Jesus because they thought, we're in, we can go have our parties together, we're the good guys, God God is on our side, and they were frustrated with Jesus. But there were other people the people who thought that God had no room for them, that God had no interest in them, that God had no place for them. And Jesus would eat with them, and he would hang out with them, and he would, he would treat them like actual people. And they loved him for it, and they were delighted by it, and they were surprised. Because at the time, unfortunately, the way that God was being portrayed by the religious leaders is that he didn't want, he didn't want anything to do with bad people. He didn't want anything to do with middle-of-the-road people. He only had room for the right people. And Jesus came to tell him that that's wrong. That's not our God. Verse 18 through 20, let's continue. So they've, they've been invited. The time is now ready. There's been a personal invitation to these people who've been invited with intention. But they all, like, began to make excuses The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I cannot come. Now, considering these excuses, inspect my new field. So so the person didn't inspect it before he bought it. Try out my oxen. I mean, are you going to go purchase cattle? Lee, without inspecting, you wouldn't be in business for very long. Be with my wife. I mean, that one's the only one that kind of maybe holds a little bit of weight. But if it's a king who's inviting you to their specially prepared banquet, I mean, what are you communicating to, that, to the king, to his servant by your rejection? I don't value your invitation. I don't value your invitation. It's not important enough to me to accept your invitation. So it just got me to thinking, you know, why would someone refuse Jesus' invitation? Back then, today, why would someone refuse a personal invitation from the Lord? And I came up with a couple of thoughts. One is that they didn't know who he was. They didn't get it. I mean, in in their mind, these guys at this party... Jesus was just one of the guys, he was just one of them. In fact, maybe he was a little bit lower. 
I'm sure there were some senior members there. I mean, with experience, with title, with position. And Jesus was just this upstart rabbi because 30 years old is when he started. If you think about that, Jesus was a rabbi. He had position, but he didn't have like a track record. He was still an upstart. Maybe they didn't know who he was, that he was actually the great I am, the son of God in their midst. And maybe they didn't know what he was offering. They didn't know that they even needed anything, right? In their mind, the great feast of the kingdom of God, we're there. Ticket's been punched. You'll see us there. (laughs) Continue on in verses 21 through 23. So the servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in, so that my house will be full. So now it changes. There's been intention, there's been thought, crafting invitations, sending invitations, delivering them personally, inviting people to come, and they don't, they're not coming. They said, we don't value your invitation. So then it changes, right? Urge anyone you can find. Urge anyone you can find. And you see that in Jesus' ministry, and you see that in the ministry of the apostles after him. I mean, they start with the inner circle. They start with the people who should say yes, the people who have every reason to say yes. But when those people say no, anyone, anyone who's open, anyone who's willing especially the people who think that they're not invited, especially the people who think that they're not invited. That, I just find that so encouraging, and it just it spurs me on that that's the Lord that we serve. That's the Jesus that we serve. Urge anyone you can find, anyone, so that the house will be full. I mean, the king has prepared a banquet. He's done all the work. He's issued the invitation to anyone that can be found. And his intention is that the house will be full. Which that's in such stark contrast to the God that the Pharisees felt that they were worshiping, who was an elitist, right? If you're not good enough, don't even bother. But that's not the God that we serve, and that's not who the Lord Jesus was representing himself or his father to be. Anyone you can find, so that the house will be full. All the resources that the Lord has, the inexhaustible ones, he wants them to be utilized. He wants them to be used. He wants the house to be full. When um, we were in Camdenton, Missouri, you know, near the Lake of the Ozarks, we spent a year there during, during missions training, and... Um, you know, when you're in missions training, you kind of got to figure somewhere to go to church. It doesn't look good for the missionary not to go to church on Sunday. Some of them didn't, actually, but we, we were good ones, you know. 
we wanted to go to church. So we started thinking, where are we going to go to church? We visited a few places. We visited the First Baptist Church down the road. There actually, I don't think there was a Christian church in town at the time. Um, but we ended up finding this place that we heard rumors about. It was a, a church that was meeting in a converted bar. Or it must have been a nightclub. It had a big bar, but it looked like it had been a converted nightclub. And um, there, we heard that there were people there that you would never expect to see in church. And uh, so we were so curious. Oh, and they had kind of loud music, and you know that was attractive. So we show up, and and it sure enough, the pastor is like a former biker, and his name was Mike. What was his last name? Duncan. Mike Duncan. And he was zany, and he was crazy, and he had, he had clearly done some recreational, you know, substances in the past, and he was open about that. And uh, and and the place was packed full of people you would never expect to see in church. And we loved it. I mean, they were so excited to be there. And they were wearing things that we wouldn't wear, and they had piercings that we wouldn't have. But they were so excited about the hope that they had found in Christ. Man, it was a blast. It loved being there every week because there was so much energy. Good donuts, but mostly it was the energy. Um, just to see the hope that's available from our, from our Lord Jesus, for anybody. Urge anyone you can find so the house will be full, and their house is full. And I'll never forget it. And, I, and I've been taught by it, you know, that there are people, just like Jesus found out, they just think they're not invited. They don't think there's any room for them. They don't think anybody would welcome them. But they're wrong. But we have to make them, we have to be the embodiment of Jesus' mission so that they'll realize that they're not correct. So, just wanted to share that with you about a church full of people you would never expect to see, that had found hope that they never expected to find, that's been available all this time. It's been available all this time. So, moving to application. Actually, there's one more verse. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. And so that is Jesus' message to the religious elite. And sadly, they, we, to some extent, still exist. The people who isolate themselves, the people who elevate themselves, they ultimately missed out on the personal invitation delivered by Jesus. So the exhortation of this story is to not overlook the value of God's invitation. And, and there's, there's multiple ways we can look at this, but that's the key message that Jesus has. He's warning them. He's eating with them. His enemies, the people who would crucify him, he's warning them. He's exhorting them. Don't overlook the value of God's invitation. Don't, don't overlook me. I mean, I've got flesh and skin on, but I'm more than that. Don't overlook it. Ultimately, they did. Many of them. Not all of them. So the good news about Jesus went to the non-Jewish people. Now, there are two ways that we can value the invitation mentioned in this story today. The first is to respond to the invitation. To respond to the invitation. That has two parts. Number one, we need to value 
the invitation. That's what was wrong, right, with these guys coming from a junior rabbi. They didn't really care what he had to say. Now, eventually they started to care because he did miracles, because other people listened, because they got jealous, and they started to care a whole lot. But we need to value the invitation from our, from our God. So the first question with that is, do you know who he is? Do you know who God is? Do you know who Jesus is? Do you know what they have done, what Jesus has done for you? I mean, these guys felt like they didn't need an invitation, but they did. They were just like us, sinners, right? Separated from God, needing a Savior, needing forgiveness, needing to be redeemed. So do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done for you? And do you know what he's offering? Do you know what the Lord Jesus is offering to you? Peace, joy, hope, a future, purpose. Those are the things that I've found. And I'm so grateful because I don't deserve them. Do you know who he is? Do you know what he has done for you? Do you know what he is offering? So value the invitation. And then second, accept the invitation. This is where it starts. Accept the invitation of Jesus. Have you trusted Christ for your salvation today? I mean, I don't know where you're at. I mean, I know where I was many, many moons ago. I was sitting in church, just like you are, and I grew up in church, like some of you did. And I, Sunday after Sunday, I was there, but it, it didn't click for me. I didn't get it. You know, I just thought that I was Rather than guilty by association, I felt like I was in by association, you know, because I was there every week, every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night with my folks. And then it wasn't until I was 17 years old that I realized that I needed a Savior and that I accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. So what about you? Have you trusted Christ for your salvation? Are you ready to believe that his death and his um, resurrection applies to you? Are you willing to confess it in front of your peers? Are you willing to repent and turn away from your sin? And are you willing to be baptized? Today, we can do that. My daughter's been pestering me about it. I think we're, we're getting ready. But it, your journey can begin today. It can begin today. So the first step is to respond to the invitation by valuing it, by accepting it. And the second is to extend the invitation, to extend the invitation. Now, while reading this story, it becomes so clear in and, and the rest of the Gospels that an invitation that was not valued at all by some was very much valued and appreciated, and, and it delighted others. People who didn't think they were invited, didn't think they had a chance with God. They were, and Jesus extended that invitation, so we need to extend that invitation. Now, in modern times, there are those who naturally will hear first. I mean, who are they? They're our friends, they're our family, they're the people that we see already. Those are the people that we're naturally going to share with first, and we're going we're gonna to get real serious about it, aren't we? I mean, we want to know that our kids, that our siblings, that our parents, that our grandparents, that our cousins, that our aunts and uncles, that our friends, that our coworkers are going to be extended that invitation, that they're going to have a chance to say yes to Jesus. But what about the people outside of our circles? 
if the idea is to fill up the house, there might be some that we don't even think about that might say yes to the invitation of Jesus. You know, another important point, and this is a little bit, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. When we extend an invitation, it is important that it's personal. Now, what do I mean by that? It's important that it's personal. And actually, if, if, when we extend an invitation, if it's not going to be personal, we probably don't need to extend it. Have, have you ever ex- received an invitation like that? <laughs> Where it's, it's, it's either not genuine or it's, it's kind of impersonal. It's just, hey, just come on if you want to. But when we're talking about extending an invitation to somebody to trust Christ and to, to change their life and to join a fellowship, we have to be very careful that we know that our hearts are in the right place and when we pray and, um, for God to put us in the right spot to where when we extend an invitation that it's a genuine one. And, and what does that mean? What does it look like when we're extending a personal invitation like Jesus was extending a personal invitation? Another way to think about it is when it comes to inviting people to church, are we inviting people to come and sit in a pew? Are we inviting them to be a part of our lives? Big difference. I mean, if our goal it, 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 you know, if we're honest, right, is to, if you would just come in and, and sit and find you a spot, you know, we've got space, find you a spot, come in every week, you know, if you're willing, you know, help us with the kids or, you know, help us do some stuff, and if you don't mind, you know, drop a, drop a little money in the plate every now and then, but I'm not really interested in, like, getting to know you, I want you here, I want you involved, and we really could use the support. But I'm not really interested in getting to know you. If the invitation's not personal, then it's better, in a sense, not to extend it. Now, I warned you that'd be a little bit uncomfortable. But on, at the same time, if that's where you're at, there's no use feeling bad about it. I mean, that doesn't help. And as the story of Gideon taught us, gut-level honesty before the Lord. It's the beginning of growth. If that's not where you're at, if you're not ready, if you don't really have an inviting heart, if your heart's not really ready to make room for people, if your schedule really doesn't have any space or can't have any space for people, then by all means, I'd hold off on the inviting because you might actually do some damage. But if you are there, and your heart is there, and there is space, and you're ready to make room, but maybe you're tentative, then, man, take this as an exhortation from Jesus. You have not missed out on the invitation, but there's others who might. There's others who will, if you yourself don't extend it. And think about God's plan, and what he's, what he's done, and how he's gone to great lengths to make the invitation personal. And that we can do that too. And we can be a part of that extension. And you know, if that's where you're at, if you're not quite in the inviting spot, that's okay. Don't feel bad about it. But this will be a starting point for you in this season of your walk with the Lord. Because there, you know, it's tough when we, we feel like we should be somewhere, but we're not. We feel like we should be inviting, but we're not. We've, 
and we're just not there, and, and that's okay. And, and it's real bad if you just try to fake it, right? If your heart's not where it needs to be, it's, it's tough. It's real bad to try and fake it. But let's start with honesty. Because truly, there is no condemnation. Hear me. I'm, I believe this. I mean this. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's none. Jesus took it. But there is opportunity. Opportunity to grow. Opportunity to change. Opportunity to participate in what God has for you and for me. There is opportunity. The second thing, or the two points underneath extend the invitation is number one, stay engaged with the excuse makers. Stay engaged. When you do extend an invitation, when you do invite somebody to consider Jesus or come to church or come into your, or you want to be a part of their lives, they're, they're, and they make excuses, maybe, maybe they just don't, the same two things we mentioned before, maybe they don't know who Jesus is. Maybe they don't know what he's offering. But you know, honestly, when it comes to being drawn to faith, people aren't drawn to God initially. They're drawn to you. And they're drawn to me, and that's why it's so crucial that our invitation's personal and, and genuine. Because when they get to know who you are, and they get to know what you're offering, friendship, real friendship, then their hearts are moved to consider who Jesus is and what he's offering. So stay engaged, and then initiate with the open doors. Initiate with the open doors, as long as they remain open. Now, if somebody shuts you down, I mean, don't just come barreling through. Some of you, <laughs> me, you know, maybe. Don't just come barreling through, but, you know, be respectful, but stay engaged. But if somebody's open, if they're desiring, if they're leaning in, in the direction of, of the Lord, man, take advantage of that. You know, help them out. And I think about sales sometimes um, when it comes to this kind of thing because a good salesperson, they don't sell you something you don't need and they don't sell you something you don't want. They spend time with you. They ask questions. They, you know, actually the process that I've, you know, become a little bit more familiar with um, is that you qualify the prospect. You spend time. Is this somebody that actually can buy this? That they, are they the decision maker? You spend time qualifying that person, you spend time, and then when you've determined that this person actually is able to make this kind of purchase, then you spend time building rapport with that person. And when you feel like you've built a good rapport, then you educate, educate, educate. And if you've done those three things well, qualify, build rapport, and educate, then the close shouldn't have to be forced. Now, forgive me for the analogy, but it can be that way with our invitations. Man, let's, let's spend time with people and, and get to know them, care about them. And if, and, if they're, and if there's pushback, if they're not ready, that's okay. But that doesn't mean that we disappear, which is a temptation, right, if it's a little bit artificial. So stay engaged and initiate with the open doors. Because, you know, in Jesus' time, there were two groups of people. It's gotten a little more complicated for us, if we're honest. Jesus had two groups of people. There were people who felt like they didn't need an invitation. They were already invited. And there were people who felt like they weren't invited. Well, nowadays, we've got a third group. People who feel like they don't need an invitation because there's really no standard anymore, right? I mean, God is whatever he is and, you know, he doesn't really require anything of us. So it's, it's kind of complicated for us, isn't it? I mean, because the people who feel like they don't need an invitation, the, the self-righteous folks, their numbers are dwindling. 
I mean, they're still out there. And then the people who feel like, man, I just, I don't think God wants anything to do with me. I mean, they're out there. And let's pray that God will lead them to us. But then there's a third group of people that's even more complicated, the ones who feel like they don't need anything from God because they're, they're fine just the way they are. But I wanted to encourage you. It's important to remember that Jesus did not engage people because he was certain that they would respond. He didn't engage people because he was confident they were going to say yes. This story proves it. These are people who, in the end, I would say most of them said no. And emphatically, like, we're going to kill you for what you said. But he did it anyway. He shared with them anyway. He invited them anyway. He didn't, and I was reminded of this recently, when he went to Jerusalem, he didn't sneak in and under the cover of night. He came in on a donkey with his face visibly present, resolute, and went to his death. That's, that's somebody I can follow. Not hiding, not slinking, courageous. <laughs> but Jesus engaged people because it was what God had called him to do. That's it. God had called him to do that, and he did it. So might we be the same? So what if we would be willing to value God's invitation? What if we would be willing to accept God's invitation and then extend God's invitation individually and as a body? You know, what could happen in a community, in a church, in a home, in a family, in a workplace? If, we're, if we accept the invitation, if we extend the invitation, and if we have the same attitude that Jesus did, urge anyone you can find. Urge anyone. Anyone welcome. Really. And then so that the house will be full, and that our invitation, it really is, because we've prayed and begged God to give us room in our hearts, we've prayed that God will help us to manage our lives and finances and time well enough that there's a little bit of space to give. What could God do with that? He could do a lot, and he has done a lot, historically. Pray with me. God, thank you so much for this morning and for the invitation that you've given us through Jesus. And I pray that if there's somebody here this morning that has not yet accepted Christ as their personal Lord and Savior, that they would come forward this morning and settle that, Lord, and receive it. Thank you so much that uh, you've given us the privilege not only of accepting your personal invitation through Jesus, but you give us the privilege of extending it as well. God, help us. We're scared, you know, we're, we're feeble, we're afraid, we're, we don't want people to be angry or frustrated or, or dislike us, but at the same time, we're also convinced that life with you is better than life on our own. And so if you would please give us the ability or the courage or the, just the tools to know how we can reach out to people, how we can invite people through friendship, how we can invite people to consider what you've done on their behalf and the invitation that you've offered them. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we sing this hymn of invitation, if you have a, a response to give, then please do it. I'll be up here waiting for you. The elders will be happy to pray with you. If it's about salvation, if it's about membership, or just anything, come on. <laughs>